privilege to get to come and, and share God's word with you in, the, um, in this evening service. My name is Davey, if you have no idea who I am, and it is my privilege to get to be one of the pastors here in the church. I just need to make a bit of an apology. I think in, the, in your newsletter you've received this week, um, the, the title was that we would be speaking on God and mental health from um, the book of Timothy. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be preaching on that tonight, but hopefully what I do have to say, um, God will speak through it. Um, I'm going to preach from this title, Bin the Bags. Bin the bags. And the, the, the premise was this idea. We, a couple of weeks ago, had our youth weekend. And we, uh, a couple of videos you'd maybe seen last week explained the, the concept of the, um, the weekend, which was this idea of lines in the sand, drawing a line in the sand. And I was down to preach on the Friday. Um, but Unfortunately, I was ill for quite some time. Um, I'm okay now. I was ill for quite some time and wasn't able to go, so unfortunately didn't get to preach this message. But there was an aspect of it that I really wanted to share, and uh, if you'll forgive me, I'll, I'll, I'd love to share it with you um, tonight. And it's, in, it's found in the passage in, uh, in Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. And as you turn there, I'm going to try and get these bags because this is my analogy. Luke chapter 8, verses 40. And this story is found in three of the four Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and in Luke. And we're going to look at it in Luke. Luke chapter 8 and verse 40. It'll come up on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. And it says this. This is in the, in the middle of sort of Jesus' ministry on earth. And he's already done a number of miracles. People have encountered Jesus and seen the, some of the miraculous things that he has done. And as much as nowadays, many of us don't sort of, a lot of people, a lot of the world aren't really interested in Jesus. Or even as Pastor Pip shared this morning, you would get a lot of persecution. At this time, he was a bit of a crowd pleaser. People wanted to see what he was doing. They wanted to be near him. And it says this, now when, he, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. Now, as Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him, that is Jesus, and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Verse 45, who touched me? Jesus asked. That was quite harsh. Maybe he didn't say it as harsh as that. <laughs> who touched me? When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had, instantly, she had been instantly healed. Then Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. And we'll pause our reading there. The story continues of how Jesus then goes on to Jairus' uh, house and heals Jairus' daughter. But we're going to pause the story there. 
Um, and the reason I have bags on the stage here um, is to illustrate something. Now, this is not a sponsored sermon. I don't get money from H&M All Saints or Duns for this. This is just, I needed some bags for this illustration. Um, but if you're anything like uh, Kelsey and I's house, um, hopefully you are, has anyone got like a, the bag that all the other plastic bags go into like it never venture it never gets to do its job of being a bin bag it's just the holder of all the other bin bags and it just and if you're like us we sometimes we'll nip home after church or whatever or go via asda and we'll need to get some stuff um, and then get to the door and realize <laughs> no bags and like the whole idea of buying like a reusable bag in asda is so that you don't have to buy more bags but we have bought far more bags than we would have if they weren't reusable. And we just store so many bags. And, and in fact, sometimes when we go, and probably more me than, than Kelsey, anytime I go and, and buy like something, I keep the bag for ages. I've, and I have no idea why. I just seem to keep the bag for so, so long. Sometimes Christmas gifts have been given in like random bags and people are thinking, oh, this is a lovely, did you buy it from this shop? He thought, no, I just know gift bags and this is all, all that we have. But, but store bags like these are interesting because when you go to a store and you buy a product, they give you your product in a branded bag such as this. And if you're around a shopping center or in Belfast city center, you cannot hide where you've been. Sometimes I'll maybe like try and you know, squeeze one bag between other two so no one knows like I went to that shop or whatever. But the reality is you can't really hide where you've been. When you have a branded bag, you're walking about town or a shopping center, everyone knows where you've been. And whether you want to be honest or not, we kind of sort of look at other people's bags and say, well, where have you been, haven't you? Kind of sort of say, well, have you, how many bags did you get from that shop? And we'll maybe have a wee bit of a judgment of where do you, where do you like to shop? Where do you like to buy your things from? And that's the reality is because we buy, the, we carry baggage around literally in life like these. And we know where people, where, where they like to visit, where they like to shop, their preferences. Sometimes, if you are like me, you take baggy bags home and they sit in your house. And when you glance at it days or weeks or maybe even months later that you have, it is a reminder of where you've been. It's a reminder of that thing that you bought. It's a reminder of what it cost you. There is this constant perpetual reminder of our past. And sometimes I don't even, I have bags in the house that the item I bought that it came in, I no longer own. It's not even in my house anymore, but I still have the bag. And it's like, I don't even own the item anymore but, or the product, but I still have that bag as a reminder, constant reminder of our past. And this can be a picture of our relationship with our sins and our mistakes in our own personal lives. There's sins in our own lives that live as bags metaphorical bags that we will carry around of things that we have done in the past, somewhere we've been, something we did, something we said, something we thought. And we can carry these bags around in our life as metaphorical bags of where we have bring. We bring them home with us. We store them in our heart. And every time we see them, we're reminded of our past. Every time we see someone else with that bag, we're reminded of our bag and our past. It reminds us of our mistakes. It reminds us of our sins. It reminds us of where we've been. And the reality is for many of us, if you've encountered Jesus, is this, is Jesus will come and, and if you've made a decision to follow Jesus, he forgives us of our sins, right? He forgives us of our sins. But 
For me, I don't know if you're like me, but I sometimes like to separate sin and the guilt and shame of what I've done. So I believe that Jesus has forgiven me of the sin of what I have done. But I feel like I need to take some of the blame as a punishment for what I've did. And so I hold on to the bag as a reminder of my guilt and shame. Jesus has forgiven me of the sin, but of the actual guilt and shame of what I have thought, what I have did, what I have said, I feel, well, I need to carry this. Jesus, thank you for forgiving me of the sin, but I feel like I need to carry some of the punishment. And so the reality is, how do we live in freedom? How do we walk around freely when we feel like we're carrying all these bags of guilt and shame of where we have been? Well, we see it well in this woman's story. Because we're told for 12 years, she carried her issue around like a bag. Now, this is not anything that she necessarily did. We read that she has a, a, a bleeding problem for 12 years. It was more than likely a menstrual problem that she had bleeding for 12 years. Now, it wasn't necessarily anything that she did. But everyone would have looked at her bag and everyone would have judged her. And everyone would have thought differently about her. And now, at that time, this woman of bleeding for 12 years would have been known as ceremonially unclean. Ceremonially unclean. She would have been rejected and cast out from societies. She would have been banished from communities. People would have judged her. Everyone would have had an opinion on her. And they wouldn't have wanted to be near this woman. Friends, imagine living a life like that. Imagine people knowing your issues and judging you. Imagine people constantly looking the baggage that you carried around and have an opinion on you and did not want to be near you. You'd want to keep this thing a private affair. You'd want no one to know about it. And then Jesus comes along. Jesus enters this story. And the first sort of observation I want to make uh, this evening is about the public event that went on. The public event. You see, Jesus just rocked up to Galilee and all these crowds gather around him because he is interested and people want to know what he's going to do. And this synagogue leader, Jairus, who is well known amongst this community, runs forward and throws himself at Jesus' feet. And we read that he pleads for him to come and heal his daughter. His daughter of 12 years old is dying and he begs him, come and heal my daughter, please. And so off they go, heading towards Jairus' home. Now this woman that we read off in this story. We don't know her name, but we read that she heard that Jesus was coming down. And I wonder if she thought, maybe Jesus can heal me. Maybe Jesus could help me from this issue of mine. Because one of the other gospels of this same story, we read that this woman spent all of her money that she could in order to try and find something that could fix her and help her and heal her. And she wasted all her money. In fact, one of the other gospels tells us that she got worse because of this. And she's maybe thinking, maybe Jesus can heal me here. Now, it's important to remember that she was living with this issue for 12 years, that she was isolated and rejected. This wasn't just a recent thing. She was isolated and rejected for 12 years, that she would have kept this issue then by to herself. It was a private affair. And then she went to approach Jesus. The issue is she would have had to face this crowd that rejected her. She would have had to face these people who knew about her issues and rejected her. And she would have felt judged by them. And surely she would have been afraid to come into contact with them. So her approach to Jesus would have had to be a, quite a sneaky one. She would have had to try to stealthy, a stealthy operation to get toward Jesus, to sneak up, 
to Jesus through the crowd privately and touch him to be healed because she would not have wanted other people to judge her again and see her. Many authors suggested that this woman crawled toward Jesus. We don't necessarily read it, but we do know that she was determined to touch him, determined to touch Jesus and be healed. But she also would have wanted to keep this a private affair, to touch Jesus and be healed and leave no fuss, no one to know about it. Do we not all want to do that in life? Do we not all have our own private affairs and our issues and our sins and our secrets and our things that we want Jesus to fix us from, but we don't want anyone else to know about them? We want to come into church and we want Jesus to help us with those, but we don't want anyone to know about it. We've mentioned it before. If, if it went up on the screen, your name and all your deepest, darkest sins and shame, you would not want to be here for other people to see it. But we want Jesus to heal it from us, isn't that right? We want Jesus to fix it, but we don't want anyone else to know about it. See, this is the predicament that this woman was in. She had things that she was carrying that she wanted healed from, but she didn't want anyone to know about it or anyone to see her. We all have these baggage and these things that we carry, friends. Things we've looked at, things we've thought, things we've said, things we've did. We all have deep, dark secrets and sins. And we'd like God to deal with them privately and effectively. Usually when there's a, an opportunity for prayer ministry at the end and someone's talked about sin and, hey, why don't you put your hand up if you're, you, know, you want to admit that you've got this so I can pray for you? Everyone's like, there is not an absolute chance that my hand is going up here, even if it was Jesus standing at the front door. We're all like, honestly, I struggle with it, but I'm not admitting it to you. No, sir. But Jesus, if you could actually fix me from it, like there's this tension of we understand and admit we're dealing with it, but we don't want to publicly announce it. Now, I'm not saying, hey, let's get up. We're going to do an open mic here and come on and we'll just err our dirty laundry. I'm not saying that. But there needs to be a place where we actually are able to admit and have a public moment with Jesus. Because look what Jesus says here. The woman touched Jesus. It says that she's healed immediately. And look at Jesus says, who touched me? Verse 45. Who touched me? Jesus asked. In the middle of this crowd, he immediately makes this private affair a public event with this woman. Now, I love when Jesus asks questions. I think I'd love to do at some point in my life a series on the questions Jesus asks or the questions God asks. Because if you've um, had children or looked after children or anything in the past, children ask questions for information, don't they? They want to know more information. But when a parent or an older person asks a question to a child, they're not asking for information. They're asking for intimacy. They're wanting to ask a question to the child to draw closer and have an intimate moment with them. And I believe that that's what happens when God and Jesus ask questions in Scripture. In the Garden of Eden, when, when man and Adam and Eve have sinned, God asks, where are you? God knows exactly where they are. It's not a game of hide and seek. And I'm like, where are you? He knows exactly where they are. But he's asking a question so for intimacy to say, do you want to be honest with me? And do you want to draw close to me? And here we have another moment where Jesus asked, who touched me? I'm convinced that Jesus knew fine rightly who it was. But it's not because he's unsure, but because he wants to make this a public event. He wants this woman to be discovered in the, in the public sphere. He wants her to be discovered, not to shame her, but to showcase her, to, to lavish love upon this woman. He wants it to make it a, a public moment. See, sometimes God wants to meet us publicly so that he can deal with something privately. 
Sometimes God wants to meet you publicly so that he can deal with something privately, something in your life. And he meets this woman in a public space, not to shame her, but to honor her and say, I actually love this woman. You've all rejected her. You've all banished her. No one wants to be near her. And I want to create a space and a moment right now in front of you all who judged her to tell you that I love her, to let others see that he doesn't judge her and that he's not ashamed of her. Friends, the enemy wants you to keep your sins private. The enemy does not want you to share your sins with one another. We would, I would love us, and I don't think we're at that space yet, if I'm honest, but I would love us to be a community where we were able to honestly talk to each other and say, here's some of my struggles. What do you struggle with? I really struggle with this. I really struggle. I'd love us to get to that place. But we're all in this place where we feel, no, I need to keep it private. I need to keep it to myself. It's all right. It's not a major issue in my life. Like, I'll come to church and I'll keep praying and God will, God will deal with it. But sometimes God wants you to actually make it a public thing. He, the enemy wants you to keep it private. Don't tell anyone. Keep it to yourself. People would be ashamed if they knew that about you. <sighs> really? And you come in here in church and sit every week and, and you do that. People wouldn't, would think differently of you. People would reject you. So we try and keep our sins private. We try and keep our sins and our secrets in the dark. But we read in Scripture that God is light. 1 John 1.7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Jesus wants to bring our sins and secrets into the light. He wants us to bring them into open, to no longer keep them hidden. But our thoughts are that of guilt and shame. But Jesus isn't ashamed of you. There's this song by, it's a spontaneous Christian song by a, a girl called Misty Edwards. What a name, by the way. Misty Edwards. And the this title of the song is, I Knew What I Was Getting Into. And it says this in the lyrics of this song. I knew what I was getting into, and I still want you. I knew what I was getting into, and I still like you. I knew what I was getting into, and I still chose you. Words of a father speaking to us. Saying, I knew, what, I knew you were going to make these mistakes. I knew. I know what's going to happen in five years' time. I know what's going to happen next week. I know the mistakes that you carry. And he's saying, and I still love you. And I still chose you. And I still want you. It will not change. God knew what he was getting into when he chose you. So nothing about you he is ashamed of. And he wants to make it a public event. So number one, he can prove to people he's not ashamed of you. And number two, so he can deal publicly with something privately. The next thing that we learn about this is it's a personal encounter with this woman. It's a personal encounter. You see, after turning to his disciples to work out who touched him and making this moment with the woman a public event, she realizes that she must come and confess now, it's interesting at this point that this woman has come to Jesus. She's touched the robe, uh, his robe, and it says that she's instantly healed. She is healed of her 12 years of bleeding. But she still comes to Jesus to confess. We read that she comes and says she couldn't go unnoticed, so she decides to tell him all the, the reasons why she came to touch his garment. The side point, but isn't this the case for all of us followers of Jesus? That he paid it all on the cross for us, all of our sins, past, present, future. Yet daily we must confess our sins, our sins to him. We must confess our mistakes to him. Because there is something powerful about bringing our sin and our shame into the light. It's during the public event that Jesus, though, makes one of his most infamous and 
provocative statements in his encounters with Jesus. And it's found in Luke chapter 8, verse 48, the very last verse that we read. This woman has been healed. Jesus wants to make it a public event for her. And the last verse that we read is he says this, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. In Luke chapter 8, verse 48, he says, Daughter. In Mark chapter 5, verse 34, Mark's account of it, Jesus calls this woman daughter. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 22, Jesus addresses this woman as daughter. It doesn't seem that infamous or provocative, but let me unpack a few things about this. First of all, in all of the synoptic gospels and in every translation you can find, the word daughter is used. He addresses this woman as daughter. This is a highly personal word. And it is used by Jesus in this public space to address this woman. It's kind of cool, isn't it? But we're not sort of completely blown away just yet. What is even more interesting is this. In all the other encounters that Jesus has with other people, he never addresses someone personally as daughter. This is the only time in Scripture that he addresses someone as daughter. In all of his encounters with different women. In fact, with Jesus and his own mother, he doesn't even make such a personal claim. I think it's up on the screen. We might have it. John chapter 19, verse 26. Jesus is hanging on the cross. He's dying. He sends some of his last words, and he sees his mother. And it says this in John 19, 26. When Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. Last breathing moments on the cross, Jesus' very own mother that raised him and loved him is there, and he says, woman. Now, this is not to highlight how you know, disrespectful Jesus was to his mother, but we are trying to highlight how incredibly personal this moment with this woman was. He doesn't even know her. We're not even mentioned of her name. And in a crowd of people, Jesus says, daughter, daughter. To highlight the significance of this address, this woman who'd been subject to such rejection for 12 years, no one would even want to look at her, never mind address her as daughter. What a beautiful personal claim and encounter. She carried her sin around for 12 years like a bag, and Jesus had a personal encounter with her and calls her daughter. Now, to add to the contrast that Jesus is on his way to heal Jairus's daughter, He's on his way to heal a daughter who is dying and Jesus stops. You would imagine Jairus would be saying, Jesus, any chance we get a move on here? I don't know if you heard, but when I came to you and shouted, it was because my daughter was dying. You know, she wasn't just hurt her knee, she was dying. And we're on our way and this nobody here starts harassing you and you want to take a moment to stop and call her daughter? What a beautiful personal encounter this is Jesus has with this woman. And all of the people around her, he wants the synagogue leader, Jairus, to know, this is my daughter. You, I'm coming to save your daughter, yes, but I want you to understand that this person that you rejected, that everyone judged, that everyone has an opinion on, is my daughter. Friends, let me make that personal to you. Because this is a big and could be seen as a provocative statement that Jesus was making at a point, this is my daughter and she, ma- she matters to me. Jesus was declaring this woman, that you people who rejected this woman, who isolated this woman, who marginalized this woman, who judged this woman, she is my daughter. That as much, that as much as you think that I should be rushing to get the Jairus' daughter, I need you to see the significance of this woman, that she is my daughter. 
See, if you were standing on this stage tonight holding your bags, what would your bags say? No matter what they said, Jesus would be standing alongside you declaring son or daughter. In the midst of everyone else who might have an opinion of what you've done and where you've been, they mightn't say it to your face, but they might have an opinion. Jesus would stand alongside you and say, this is my son. This is my daughter. And I don't don't care what you have to say. I am so proud of them. I'm not ashamed of them. And I love them deeply. And he addresses son, daughter, over those who decide to put their faith in him. No matter, friends, what baggage we're carrying, no matter what the other people think, no matter what you think, no matter what you've done, he makes this a personal encounter. And the final thing he does is, it's a problem erased. It is a problem erased because Jesus made it a public event in front of everyone. He's made it a personal encounter by calling her daughter. Now he's going to make it a problem erased. Because in the final verse, he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Jesus makes this public address to her and tells her and others around her that her faith has healed her. But why does he need to say that? Why does Jesus need to say this wee last remark? Does he just like to get the last word in? Why does he need to do that? Surely since the power has left him and this woman was healed at once, he didn't need to say anything to her. She got what she wanted. She got healed. She got healed of this thing that she had had for 12 years. Just let her go. But we need to read a little bit deeper. And look at the verse before, verse 47. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, remember she's just been healed at this point, but it says, seeing that she could not go unnoticed by the people around her, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been healed instantly. So she is probably trembling because she has had this issue for 12 years and now is healed. But why does she feel the need to actually tell people around her what, why she came to Jesus? Why does Dr. Luke, who wrote this, who's all about the fine details, put some of this information in? Why was this woman trembling and trying? Why was she trying to remain unnoticed? Why did she not want to be seen? See, this woman had her sin and her issue dealt with, but was still carrying the guilt and the shame of it all. She was the unclean woman that people knew about. The people knew about her mess. The people had judged her. The people had rejected her. And she was terrified about being seen in this crowd. She still had guilt and shame in her past. You see, we can give our lives to Jesus and be forgiven of our mistakes, but we still carry the guilt and the shame of those mistakes. And sometimes... We deal, we're all right with understanding that Jesus saved us from our sin, but I don't know about you, but for me, it's the guilt and shame of what I've done that crushes me. The object might be removed from the bag, but we still carry the bag around as evidence of where we've been, and that crushes us. And this is why Jesus continued to, continues to speak to this woman, because the problem at this point isn't erased. See, Jesus didn't just want to heal her sin, but he also wanted to heal her shame. Jesus doesn't just want to heal your sin, he wants to heal your shame. And the powerful part in this message is that when the woman tells Jesus why she touched him, I'm going to ask the band if you could join me on stage. This is a confession on her part. And Jesus proclaims, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Jesus tells this woman that it is her faith and belief in him to save her that has healed her. Now go in peace. Jesus commands her to go in peace. He is confirming that you are now made whole. 
He has healed her sin. He has healed her guilt and he has healed her shame. She no longer has to carry these bags. Jesus is declaring, take these bags. I've healed you of the sin. Now you've been carrying these bags around as guilt and shame. And he is saying, I want you to bin the bags. Stop carrying them any longer. Stop bringing them home and looking at them and being reminded of where you've been. Stop doing that. You don't need to do this. Some of us in this room and online have been carrying bags for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years of things that we've done in the past places we've been and we've carried them and daily you beat yourself up and and you might say to Jesus thank you for forgiving me of the sin but I need to carry this bag to you know as my punishment to do my part and Jesus said no you don't bend the bags go in peace leave this right here and go in peace Jesus doesn't need our partnership and saving your sin and forgiving you of your sins he just needs you to say I, I know I got myself into this mess, but can you, can you take this? And he said, I can take it. Do you trust me? Do you trust me to take it? And that is how we live in freedom, friends. We don't do what we think. We do what we know. 1 John 1 and 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we confess, that's all you need to do. If you confess and believe that he can forgive you, that is your part to play. And he does the rest. And Psalm 103 verse 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. He removes them as far as the east is from the west. You can't put a point on those two things. And that's what he has done. And God does this with our sin and our shame. You don't have to carry your shame as punishment. For Jesus carried it on the cross. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The problem has been erased for this woman, for me, and for you. Tonight, can I encourage you to give up carrying your bags? Some of you are fed up carrying things that you've been carrying for too long. Some of you have been carrying metaphorical bags of your life for far too long and you're worn out and you're tired and you're fed up being judged. Tonight, Jesus invites you, bend them. Leave them here. Jesus said, so many of you have come into this place carrying bags that he wanted you to leave here and daily you've been carrying them back out with you. And you've came in with them and expecting to leave them here and you've carried them back out. And how many services have you come to church and carried the bag and expecting to leave it here, but then you took it back out with you? Let tonight be a line in the sand moment, friends. Let tonight be the moment where you say, I'm drawing a line in the sand and I am bending this. I am letting go of my guilt and shame because I am believing what Jesus says. I'm believing that if I confess then he will forgive me for my sin, my guilt, and my shame. He calls you publicly. He calls you personally. And he wants to erase your problem. And here's the thing, friends, as I come to close. It is an invite. It is an invite. I love when people give me invites for some stuff. <laughs> Can I give you a call? No, thanks. But thanks for asking. Because an invite is an opportunity for you to decline. 
And so this invite is put to you. Some of you have been carrying these bags and things of your life for far too long. And you've come in and maybe, I only have three here, but maybe for you, you've metaphorical bags upon bags upon bags and you're worn out. And tonight there is this invite. Jesus stands here and says, you don't need to carry this any longer. You don't need to do this. You can leave this here once and for all. But the invite is on you. What will you do with this? I'm going to pray. And then Catherine so awesomely picked some great songs for us to respond with God in. Because you don't just need to respond in prayer, but we can respond in worship. And so if you would join me in standing right now, I'm going to pray. And then we're going to continue to respond to God as he invites us. As he reminds us that I have covered everything of your, your life. I have covered your sin, your guilt, and your shame. Are you going to trust me? Because you are, or are you going to carry something out here that you do not need to carry? Father God, tonight we thank you for your grace, unmerited, undeserved on our part. And we pray that tonight, God, that there would be some miraculous things happening in individuals' lives, whether in here or joining online, that they would leave bags at your cross, things that they've carried for too long, Father God, we pray that you would bring freedom tonight in Jesus' name. That whom the Son sets free is free indeed. That this is why you've saved us. So that we would walk in freedom. God, help us to accept that invite. Help us to say yes to leaving our baggage here. To trusting your word over what we feel, God to trusting that you can remove it as far as he says from the west and you can't deal with it even though we feel that we need to play our part in carrying some of the punishment and blame. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would be speaking to people's hearts right now saying you do not need to carry this and you've been carrying it for too long. So as we come to worship you, we pray tonight, God, that your grace would flow through these next few songs. It would flow into our hearts and minds that we would honor and glorify you in Jesus' name.